1: Craig, thank you. Four oh six on the Central Coast. It is Thursday, February fifteenth, two thousand twenty-four. I'm Dave Congleton. This hour always good to be in conversation, or always good to be in conversation. Dr. James Papp, historian extraordinaire, he joins us now. Professor Papp, good afternoon. Nice to see
0: you. Why are you James? Always a pleasure to be here. Why am I James? Um, Because my father was James, and his Hungarian. But you're not a junior. I'm not a junior because we have a different middle name. Because my middle name is after my grandfather on my mother's side, which is Ralph, and I always disliked that name. I li- I hated being as a child having three monosyllabic names. James Ralph Papp seemed very boring. And I always wanted to change to um, a more exciting one. I hoped at confirmation they'd let me have something more exciting, but they wouldn't. And um, but you were just saying you felt sorry for someone named George.
1: Yeah, well, he's like
0: fifteen. Um, he can name. He can rename. Himself Prince Wong, which is what George Lewis performed under. We'll get Uh, there.
1: I promise.
2: Craig, what's her update? Yes, we had one last call. Steve. We had somebody who in her family, I think it was five to seven Steves, and I said it's a very dependable sounding name. And she said they are incredibly dependable. Hmm. But that's all in one family. Wow. All
1: right. So uh, James is here today to talk about an exhibition up called the Chinatown Japantown Glamour.
0: At the History Center? No, oh. actually at Mi Hang Lo. Oh, the great restaurant right next to the Palm. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the exhibit. So Ah, it must have been about seven years ago. I was, um, seven or eight years ago, I was at Cal Poly looking through the Lewis family collection. A lot of photographs there, and I was struck by how many glamour photographs there are. You know, these... Glamour. These, these sort of photos from the 20s and 30s where people just sort of glow. It looks like they've been photographed through Vaseline. They used amazing lighting. Uh, One of the things, because often you had, say, silver nitrate film, um which has a special quality to it. Um, there was a cinematographer named James Wong Howe oh, yeah, and famous. did a, many great Hollywood movies, uh, nominated for it, and I think maybe won two Academy Awards. But he was the one, early early film, um, both photography and celluloid did not capture blue eyes. They were They came out white. This came out like a blank. He had the idea of surrounding the movie camera with black velvet. So that would reflect in the eyes of the star who was being photographed or filmed. No so he, he was photographing. I can't remember what star of stage and screen who had blue eyes for glamour shots for publicity stills. And she loved the results so much. She insisted that he be the cinematographer on her next film. Right. And that is how he got into cinematography from being a photographer. So um the very interesting guy um the first asian cinematographer in hollywood um any rate, so you have all this glamour photography, and it was showing up in the Ah louis collection, and, and um, the Lewis family were always dressing up as vaqueros, as pirates <laughs> in Chinese clothes and Western clothes. They were snappy dressers, and I thought, that's really interesting. I was, went over to, to Mi-Hing Lo, and I was talking to Paul Kwong, who was running it at the time, and it's now his son, Russell, and I mentioned it and showed a few of the photographs on my phone, and he said, oh, I've got all these great photos of my family from the 1940s back in England. You you know, just people dressed amazingly in the 30s and 40s, too the fedoras, the overcoats, all this. And I said, We should do an exhibition on um, Chinatown glamour. And Amber and Emily at the All Louis store were doing a big do for Lunar New Year for the 150th anniversary. More than a thousand people downtown. Oh, more than a thousand people at one time and they were cycling in all day. It was a madhouse. It was great. But, um, I said, okay, this is an excuse to finally do this exhibition. So, um, it's up at me, hang low. Um, I'm going to give a talk a week from Saturday at one o'clock that Saturday, the 24th. Um, but you can come and see it in the evening. Um, sort of later in the week in the evening, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is when they open the upstairs cause it's upstairs and upstairs. Yeah, it's upstairs. So you need to be able to go upstairs because the dumbwaiter is broken. They won't take you up that way. And, um, and then on the 24th at 1 p.m., you can show up a little early, order lunch, and hear me yacking about it if that floats your boat. And then it will come down at the end of February, but it will go up again there for Asian um, Pacific History, uh, Asian American Pacific History Month. And um, that will be May. So, so there you have it. I'm
1: looking at a photo of some of the photos. What am I looking at? What, what, what stands out in the exhibit for you?
0: So... What what struck me is that there were really two things flowing here. One was the glamour photography of Hollywood. So, So it was not only that stars had to look great on screen, but they had to look great in fan magazines. They had to look great in the press. They had to send out publicity stills. And so this whole, people like Edward Hurl, these wonderful glamour photographers who who, um, came around Hollywood, it wasn't just people's appearances on the screen. And one of, I think, the influential people here was Anna Mae Wong, great actress, but also the camera loved her and she loved the camera. So she was actually voted the best dressed woman in the world. (laughs) <laughs> not not just in yeah. hollywood in the, world, in the world in 1934
1: so she's like the taylor swift of 1934
0: Oh, she was amazing. I mean, just she was there were so many wonderful glamour photographs of her. She could never quite get the part she wanted in Hollywood because of of two reasons. One, she was Asian. So there were very few parts where there was an Asian star. But two, a a sort of an informal rule of the Hayes Code is you couldn't have an interracial couple. So she could never appear with a white leading man. And there were very few Asian leading men and actually only one. He was Japanese. And if the leading man was playing in yellow face, i.e. it was a white actor playing a Chinese role, she couldn't appear with him either. So, for instance, in uh, Pearl Buck's um, The Good Earth, she couldn't take the lead role in that because I think it was Paul Muni was playing an Asian man in yellow face. So you couldn't have anime Wong with him. Mm -hmm. So it was someone else. But she was actually related to the Lewis family, who who were Wongs. It's unclear to me what her relationship was. I think she, she was a correspondent with Stella Lewis, who also had Wong relations, whose original name was Chandulaire, which was shortened and anglicized to Chandler. Stella Lewis married young Lewis. Some of you will be out there in Radioland will be old enough to remember them and their fabulous restaurant, Gold Dragon. Um, which was also just a very glamorous place. Where was that located? It was on Monterey Street, and that, that, um, the building it was in is now gone, but it was redone in 1929. They moved the location in 1929, it opened in 26 or 27, I think 26. And it was just the most spectacular Chinese art deco. There were seven shades of gold on the front windows. The, the walls were in shades of mulberry and shades of blue on a silver background. The booths were jade green and gold and <gasps> red and black. Um, the, the, the toilet and the sink were jet black. <laughs> <laughs> this is very unknown for the time. There was a ladies' mezzanine, and there was also a room with a stage, and they called it a confecterant because you could get sodas and ice creams as well as a, a, a American and Chinese food. Amazing place, and we have a photograph of it just glowing in this amazing way that photographs glow in the 19, you know, black and white photographs glow in the 1920s um, and 30s. So, at um, any rate, Stella Lewis, it's, it's very interesting. She comes in, and she... She will be quoted in the newspaper, the telegram of the time, as um, giving gossip from anime wong 's letters, or anime Wong stops and visits her on the way to san francisco so here 's this bit of Hollywood glamour descending onto San Luis Obispo, and you see it in the photographs and a lot of these most of these photographs are the history, from the History Center, some are from Cal Poly, and they don't seem to be for public consumption they 're for, for Within the family, and yet re- they show off uh, people in this new language of glamour photography. Craig has
1: uh, put a photo up on the screen. You recognize what that is? Craig, can you tell us what this
2: it's is? It's uh, the Four Ladies statue in Hollywood on uh, La Brea. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it was put up in nineteen. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, nineteen ninety-three. But it. Saluted the original women of Hollywood and it's four of them: Mae West Dorothy Dandridge anime Wong and uh, Dolores Del Rio
0: and anime Wong is now on a quarter um, which you can now buy from eBay for much more than 25 cents. So she's on a quarter. She's on a quarter. She's on a coin. I have to say, she doesn't look that great on a coin. She looks amazing in photographs. Just go on the web Who and. Who does look good and, on a coin? Anime Wong. <laughs> George Washington looks fine, or at least we're used to him. All right. But, uh, um, but that yeah. sort of was what struck me the, the way that. Um, The Chinese and Japanese community here just pulled in all this, pulled out of stops, all the stops out of of glamour photography, really for their own personal consumption. And yet, and we will get to this after the break, some of them rode this to nationwide fame.
1: I guess we're going to take a break now. Dr. James Papp is here, historian extraordinaire, talking about an exhibit currently up at Mihung Lo Restaurant. We are uh, in conversation with Dr. Papp. We will continue after this on AM 920, FM 96.5, Hometown Radio for the Central Coast. It is the Dave Congleton Show. Tomorrow, Dr. Larry Martinez gives us the very latest on the bullet train in California. We'll take Monday off for the holiday. Back on Tuesday with Tom Folks from the local Democratic Party. We are busy. Weekday afternoons from 3.05 to 7 o'clock right here on KVEC. Dr. James Papp has also been busy. He's got a brand-new exhibit up called Chinatown Japantown Glamour at Mihang Lo Restaurant right next to the Palm Theater. If you haven't been, you really need to go. The food is outstanding. It's the only restaurant I know with a second floor in town.
0: I, I, was, I was pondering that, and as far as I know it's true, yeah. but I, as I was just telling, telling Dave, I never leave my block. I have the greatest block. I'm in the, the Sour Adams adobe has a beautiful garden. I have a fencing club there. People come and we fence <laughs> in the backyard. I can go to me hang low. I can go to the Palm Theater. I do go half a block away to Phoenix and Boo Boo, but mm-hmm. that, no, don't, don't see me anywhere else in town.
1: All right, so I think most people at least have heard the name of Al Lewis. But we should talk about his children because his children have a direct role in all this. The yeah,
0: I think that um, partly it's the Anime Wong connection, but partly, I mean, th- th- it, there is the, a darling photograph. <laughs> that is in this exhibition. And the exhibition was limited by the number of frames I could pull out of the attic because um, I needed wooden frames because I had to attach them to the top because they're hanging from a rail yeah. because we didn't want to damage the uh, murals behind. Sure. Um, so there's this darling photograph in the History Center collection. It's Helen Wong, uh, sorry, Helen Lewis. Their their Chinese name was Wong. Ah, uh, Louis was Wong on. An. Uh, and, and in Chinese, the, the family name comes first. Um, So it's Helen Lewis, um, Howard Lewis, who is often known as Toby, and Freddie Lewis. And there, I would say, um, Howard is about five years old. Freddie would be a couple of years older. Uh, Helen's probably about nine. And she's dressed in a Tyrolean dirndl. Um, they're standing in Chinatown. You can see my building, the the Hayes, the not the Hayes Latimer, the Sour Adams Adobe in the background. Um, she's in a Tyrolean dirndl. Howard is dressed in a Japanese kimono with a parasol, and she doesn't look very happy. He looks very happy. And then Freddie is in is dressed like the little Dutch boy who stuck his finger in the dike. What are they dressed up for? God knows, is <laughs> hilarious, and it's part of the. You know, they go through life dressing up. There's a, a photo of Howard. He must be in his 70s or 80s or 90s at that time, dressed as a pirate, being stabbed by someone on a boat. Who knows what that's what? about? But it's in the Alu. It's in the Lewis family collection at Cal Poly Special Collections. So, um, everyone in. Al Louis was clearly a brilliant guy. He was the biggest employer in San Luis Obispo County. He came into San Luis Obispo County with all this just endemic and virtually universal anti-Asian feeling. Um, Just to give an example, in um, 1886 in Arroyo Grande, they hanged um, two people to Swiss, a Swiss chocolate maker and his son for the murder of someone. It was a vigilante group, and they just hanged them from the, the railroad bridge there. The next day, they went to the Chinese Laundry and said, by tomorrow, we expect you to all leave, or you will have the same treatment. All they were guilty of was being Chinese. And there were no Chinese, no Asians in a Royal Grande for the next 20 years. Um, until the Japanese growers came in uh, and they tried to run them out of the county as well. So um, in 1920 and this is the only other example I will give in 1920 there was a, a state referendum to further restrict ownership of, of land in California to Asians and not just that they couldn't own land, Asian immigrants, but they couldn't even lease land. That referendum passed by 97% to 3%. So that's how universal the hatred... Of, what year would that have been about? That was 1920. Okay. So that is precisely the context we come to when Anna Mae Wong becomes the first Asian film star, the first Asian-American film star in 1924. And so there's this sort of the exoticism of uh, the glamour of exoticism she's different um and she plays all of these dragon lady parts and so on but um you get with the lewis children they are um, most of them brilliant musicians um and helen lewis goes to chicago to visit one of her sisters This is the youngest Lewis daughter, and she has graduated from Cal Poly, which is basically a community college at that time, and she enrolls in the Chicago Conservatory of Music, but she also finds that she is ready to play in all the jazz and dance bands in Chicago. I mean, think of some like a hot. That is the the milieu then, and so she quickly starts um, playing with jazz bands, and she's she is the only, she's billed as the only, um, Chinese girl pianist in the country, but plays with American girl Vim. <laughs> And she eventually is touring with something called Mr. Wu's Chinese Showboat Company, which has 10 men and 10 women, all Chinese, dancing, uh, all classically trained, or at least that's what they say. And her act, she sings, she dances, and she plays the accordion. So she is getting billing with George Burns and Gracie Allen. And she does this from 1925 to 1932. Then with the Depression, it's too much for her. And she moves back to Chicago. She continues to play and perform there, but she also... um, becomes a leader of Chinese-American nonprofits and sort of mainstreams. Her brother, George, is not only um, touring as Prince Wong, he has a 10-minute act in vaudeville called From Shanghai to San Francisco in 10 Minutes, where he does uh, Chinese music, Hawaiian guitar, ukulele, and then American popular music for San Francisco, and tells jokes. And he's very popular. He does this all over the U.S. and Canada. But he's not only recorded here, but he is recorded in France. Hmm. They're playing him in France on records. And we're going to play some
1: clips when we come back. Yeah, and you
0: can find it on YouTube. So just look up Prince Wong.
1: On the Stolberg text line, uh, last week I was looking for a Lunar New Year card. Went to... Seven different stores couldn't find one in the South County area.
0: If you had come to the Aloui Louis store, <laughs> they were big on Lunar New Year, and we had the big celebration there. Um, I can send you a new Lunar New Year car. Someone gave it to me, and I haven't used it yet. And if you plant it, it sprouts vegetables. Really? It has a dragon on it. I'm year of the dragon, so. Well, when in I'm doubt, just, just go
1: to the Aloui Louis store. That's. That's where Amber find and Emily stuff. have an
0: amazing store with amazing things in it, and they have kept all of the original fixtures. So it is incredibly rare. I mean, it's rare enough to have an 1885 um, commercial building, but to have an 1885 commercial interior, still all the bins where all Louis kept potatoes and vegetables. That that, that I mean, it, it still has the original hanging gas lamp in it, uh, inverted gas lamp. It's amazing. Uh, Bill Watson, all Louis. Um, great-grandson owns it, and just to give a sense that um, practice, 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 but this musical is Abilities in the Genes. Um, Bill Watson, when he was 16, he had an act where he would play Born Free on the piano. Then they would cover the piano keys with cloth. He would play it again. They would uh, uh, put gloves on him, and he would play it again. And finally, they would blindfold him, and he would play it again. Wow. (laughs) So that's Bill Watson for you. Dr.
1: James Papp, regaling us with stories of our city's past. More to come after news, traffic, and weather. We're still Hometown Radio. Welcome to Club McKenzie. I'm Guy Rathbun. No, 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 no. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like Guy's show. Uh, we're here with Dr. James Papp. This is Wong Wong Blues.
0: Yes, and it's it's a lovely thing. Just to have these blasts from the past, you can find this on, uh, on YouTube. YouTube right? If you look up Prince Wong. So George Lewis, who was the middle son of Ah Louie, uh, was a brilliant ukulele list, if that is the term. Um, he, there he was playing the Hawaiian guitar, played the steel string guitar, and he did this act, as I was describing, this 10-minute act, but that was a French recording of him in playing what was... Actually written as Wang Wang Blues and is a, is a classic in American jazz. And they renamed it Wong Wong Blues for his recording. And there he is playing it to French people. Um, so, so he was big in France. He was big enough in France so that they issued, um, some of his recordings there. Yeah. Um, and as I said, he toured throughout the United States and, and also Canada. And, but, you know, Walter Lewis, who, and, and Young Lewis, they all played piano. It was just, uh, seemed to be <laughs> the, where, where did they keep a piano? You know the all all eight children and their mother and father all lived above the all Louis store. Well, if you go to the all Louis store you'll realize that's about a thousand square feet yeah. um this is This is the guy who's the biggest employer in San Luis Obispo county was running a had a sixteen thousand acres of farmland that he was running i mean um r- 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 was breeding thoroughbreds, had a brickyard. He had business, his hands and fingers in every business in this county and living with eight family members, nine other family members in a 1,000 square feet. But mm. one of the things that's so interesting about the Lewis children is that they have these sort of bursts of influence all over the nation. Um, there you heard George, or internationally in that case. But Helen Lewis in 1924 somehow uh, was found by a woman named Nasa McMaine, who was one of the premier uh, magazine illustrators in the United States. And she was doing for McCall's magazine a series called... Um, types of american beauty for the cover girls and so she and and this was actually I mean, it sounds cheesy and it was cheesy, but the other side of it was she was elevating groups that had been much reviled. So not only did she have a, you know, a Scandinavian American girl and a French American girl, she had an Irish American girl. She had an Indian American girl by which she meant an American Indian girl. And it was very kitschy. She was wearing a war bonnet. She had an Eskimo American girl who looked about as Eskimo as my Aunt Fanny. Looked about as Eskimo is Julia Ormond, who plays an Eskimo in um, Smell a Sense of Snow, if you've yeah. ever seen that movie. I've had seen
1: that, yeah.
0: Um, which is not very Eskimo. But then she found in Chicago Helen Lewis and had her as the Chinese-American girl. So suddenly, Helen Lewis in September 1924 is in 2 million mailboxes all across the United States. The 8.5 million readers of McCall's magazine, which is 8% of the American population, suddenly has glamour girl Helen Lewis uh, from San Luis Obispo in their mailbox. I
1: think we've, people have to remember the times, James, the idea of the popularity of magazines, it was really a big deal to be on the cover of a magazine then.
0: Yeah, I mean, you were essentially breaking the Internet, as they say these yeah, yeah, days, yeah, yeah. to be on a magazine cover. So that was, um, she didn't break into modeling, um, though she did occasionally model, but um, that was just before she began her musical touring career. Um, and then an even bigger circulation Howard Lewis. Now, Craig, just uh, sorry, Craig. Dutch.
1: Dutch. Dutch. Yeah, Dutch has a story about Howard. Let's hear the story.
2: Oh, well, I was uh, young. It was early '90s, and I had grown up here, and I, I kept seeing this Ah uh, Lewis store. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to go in and see what they got. I don't even know what's going on. And I think it was around right before Christmas time or whatnot. And so I decided to go in. This got to be '91 to '93 time, and there was a very very old Chinese guy in there, and this. The shelves had some like knick-knacky stuff. It wasn't like a specific kind of store, but it was this very, very old man who uh, was there just kind of sitting and waiting for someone. And then there was a maybe a 30 year old woman there just sitting quietly watching me peruse the store. And then I left. I mean, that's, you know, my brush with the Louis family. But it was definitely odd because I couldn't figure out what they did and how they could possibly stay in business by selling, like, you know, a ceramic panther or something. You know, something weird. Because they didn't really have a theme for the store.
0: Yeah, Howard turned it in. So under in Allouez Day, it was the bank for Chinatown and all the all the workers. Um, he ran his uh, employment business out of that because he controlled hundreds, indeed thousands of Chinese workers in the county, um, but also the produce of his um, flour and vegetable farms and so on. But Howard had artistic interests. And he turned it into a store of instead of I will instead of saying bric-a-brac objet d'art. And um, how how did he keep going? Well, he built a lot of apartment buildings in this, in this town. So he wasn't and
1: dependent on store. He wasn't income. dependent
0: on the store, but to yeah. him that was an important part of his family's legacy. And in fact, he saved that store from the city council wanting to demolish it. They wanted to what? demolish that entire block what? in 1950 so that the white merchants down on Monterey Street would have a parking lot so people wouldn't go out to the new shopping malls. And Howard Lewis... Um, said, uh, they got my Irish up. And he d- did not succeed in saving all the wooden false front buildings that lined the rest of the street, which looked like an Old West Hollywood set. But he did save the Louis store. And shortly after that, it was uh, made a California landmark. Uh, and then he kept the store. He ran the store for the rest of his life. He finally died. He would have been about 80 when you saw him. And he died in 2008 at the age of 100 still um, running the store
1: on the stalboard line while well, this goes along with what we were just talking about why did they build a parking structure right in Chinatown because now it's only a theater a restaurant and a store
0: yeah pretty much they created the Chinatown historic district to uh, commemorate everything that they had knocked down they built a parking garage there because it replaced a parking a flat parking lot uh, which replaced all of the wooden buildings that had... The city was both trying to get rid of wooden buildings that they thought were unsightly, uh, but also just wanted parking so that people would can continue to come downtown.
1: So what did Howard do before he retired and ran the store?
0: Howard was a football star at San Luis High. He was a halfback. And he was always referred to in the telegram as Little Howard Lewis, who could run so fast that the um, rival team couldn't even see where he was running, let alone tackle him. They called
1: him that Little Howard Lewis? Little
0: Howard Lewis is what the telegram. Uh, his nickname was Manga, and I don't know where that came, comes from. Most people knew him as Toby. It, it, his family seemed to have called him Howard, but friends called him Toby, which was a, a version of his Chinese name. And um, so he was actually captain of the San Luis Obispo high school football team for his... Um, athletic fame. He was hired by a local auto parts store and then was fired when one of the customers said they would not uh, frequent a store that had a Chinaman working for them. And I quote there um, uh, what they called him. And then later he got the telegram to stop using chink as a uh, way to refer to Chinese. But he then developed an interest in flower arranging. At night school and he became a competitor judge and flower ranger for the Burpee catalogs and the Burpee catalogs McCall's magazine went to 2 million households the Burpee catalogs went to 3 million households so Howard Lewis between 1939 and the mid 1950s was with with the exception of the of when he was in the military service during World War II was Arranging flowers for uh, Burpee catalog covers and for the interiors, both color photographs and black and white photos. And he they were also being um, reproduced in Sunset Magazine. Uh, they did a feature on his flower arrangements. So you just have these extraordinary people who gain this national fame. Um, not necessarily. I mean, they not connected with their name necessarily. Um, the McCall's cover doesn't say this is Helen Wong. It just yeah. says the Chinese-American girl. Nobody getting the burpees catalog knows that it's Howard Lewis doing the arrangements. But they, they are having this very glamorous national influence. I've
1: never heard any of this before, Dr. James Papp, on this broadcast. Let's remind folks just tuning in about the exhibit Up As We Speak.
0: Oh, sorry. It's called Chinatown, Japantown Glamour. We will get to the Japantown part of it. And it um, is at Hang Lo for the next two weeks. It will return in, so till the end of February, it will return in May for Oppie Month. And um, if you want to see it, go there um, for dinner in the evening. Uh, you don't have to buy food, but you should buy food because it's great food. Go upstairs. In the back is where all of these 30 or so images are tongue, uh, including, including, and I haven't mentioned this yet, a Chinese, as then described as a coolie hat, now I don't know how you would say it, um, patty hat, there are various nicer ways of describing it, that belonged to Greta Garbo, the film star. So hmm. I have that framed in an 18th century Italian frame. And because you not only have the glamour that um, our Chinese and Japanese communities were reflecting off of Hollywood, but also Hollywood was borrowing and the fashion industry was borrowing the sort of the exotic glamour of the Far East.
1: On the Stolberg text line, Howard Lewis would bring in drawings of Chinese characters to my little store and I would send it off to be made into a rubber stamp. He (sighs) would affix to a carved stone handle to make a chop as an individual ID.
0: Wow. Never heard that story I've never before. heard that story. That's a great story. Um, Howard was a watercolorist, and he was also, he could read Japanese as well as Chinese. Um, and just an amazing guy. Um I mean you, you know if you if you encountered him like Craig sitting in the store you wouldn't know the <laughs> rather, rather incredible background of he had as a preservationist his brother uh young Lewis and um young's wife Stella uh, were co-founders of the history center The only one I really
1: um, knew at all was Elsie
0: Lewis. Ah yeah she's she's amazing and she's in the exhibition too. Yeah the um, camera loved her
1: spelling champion for the state of California. Yes. And um, uh, just led this extraordinary life, although she led most of her life away from San Luis. She came, she grew up here, then she left, and then she came back later in life.
0: Yes. So she was here for the last decades of her life. But yes, she helped her, she, she married a guy who was five years, her second husband was five years younger than she was. He was also white. And so in the census in Chicago in 1950, they both list themselves as white because you could get trouble having an interracial household. Uh, most of the interracial households in California just listed themselves as white. It was a very interesting phenomenon. I I don't have time to get into that's right but, let's, um,
1: let's, let's take a break we'll yeah. come back and uh, finish up with japantown i'm dave congleton we're live we're local we're hometown <music> if you're just joining us we are in conversation with historian and author dr james papp put a plug in for your current book by the way
0: oh yeah san luis obispo county architecture Sorry, I had to to remember because I'm doing one on San Luis Obispo County history. Images of America. Um, It does actually have a couple of photographs of the gold dragon in it, um, as well as the Al-Louis store. Um,
1: Available however you get books.
0: Available however you get books, yes. What about Japantown? Japan Town, I'm going to put in a quick plug for the Chong. Some of you will remember Richard Chong, who ran the candy Candy store until 1978. That was in the building that his brother Addison had built. There were 13 children of the uh, Chong family. Thirteen. Thirteen. Um Uh Quang Chong came to San Luis. Well, the first we know of him here is the early 1880s. And he's the first documented Chinese food merchant in in San Luis Obispo. And he had 13 kids. Addison built that little brick building, gorgeous brick building at the corner of um, Choro and Palm, which is now Anderson's real estate. Chong's candy store um, neon sign has just been put up. On the Chinatown parking garage. Hmm. Uh, Brian Lawler apparently had it and then it's been restored and it was put up for the Lunar New Year and it will remain up. He just happened to have it. I don't know how he got a hold of it but um, Richard Chong is also in the Glamour exhibition because he had a look and his look was striped overalls um, you know like a railroad engineer he always wore them and if you have what the French call on look, <laughs> then you deserve to be in a glamour exhibition. But um, Japantown, and keep in mind, these were very rickety places for the most where part. Where was Japantown? Japantown was where Brook Street is. Okay. Um, there's a, um, there's a tune up place, I think, Hegera where Hegera and South Street cross. Yes. So there's a little strip mall there across from where Sunshine Donuts used to be, which is now Slotico. Yes. And then behind that, Brook Street, which used to be Ato Street. Right. And that basically acre was Japantown, and it was at the confluence of the 101 of Los Osos Valley Road, which is now Madonna, um, or that part of it was, was French, uh, then became, uh, would go into Los Osos. uh, and the, and the Southern, uh, sorry, the Pacific Coast Railway came in there. That was the grain and bean warehouse is all that's left, is that Pacific Coast Center covered with, um, corrugated iron. Um, so that was where Japantown was, and it was very rickety until, because, because if you were an Asian immigrant, you couldn't own real estate. Why spend a lot of money building something on land you couldn't own? So, um, however, in 1930, the Tsutsumi family, who were growers down in Shell Beach, fronted by Robert Fukunaga, who was born in Hawaii, so he could own property, they completely rebuilt the front part of, of Japantown, uh, two-story brick Pacific Hotel, concrete and brick buildings. It was a big deal. They spent $50,000, which was a lot at the beginning of the Depression. And Ch- and Japantown was transformed. It was the only part of San San Luis Obispo that would welcome black people. And so in the 1940 census, um, virtually all of San Luis Obispo's black population is living there. People say there were no black people in San Luis Obispo in the 1940s. That's untrue. Um, So when everyone in Japantown who was Japanese-American, including American-born, with citizenship, got deported to what were then known as concentration camps until they tidied up the name to relocation camp, um, that became the African-American hub of San Luis Obispo, because a black regiment was protecting the coastline, a black gunnery regiment, and that's a whole other story.
1: Yeah, we talked about that on the show. What were yeah. relations like between Chinatown and Japantown?
0: There, so. As Chinatown got older, uh, many of its denizens moved back to China or simply died because from 1882 with the Chinese Exclusion Act, a federal act that was passed at the behest of California, you didn't have you had almost no new um, Chinese coming in. And so when people were looking for people who would work hard for very little money, they brought in Filipinos, Japanese, Indians, Indians. Indians from India, not right. American Indians. But no Chinese. Um, hmm. But not Chinese. So Japan. So Chinatown became, at its east end, uh, got Filipino. The PI Restaurant stood for Philippine Islands Restaurant. There was a Luzon Trading Company. There was a Japanese. The Fukunagas were Japanese. No, the Fukunagas. Um, oh, I'm, I'm suddenly forget. Um, but anyway, there was a Japanese grocery there. But Japantown had its own, from, from basically 1922 to 1942, they had all of their own restaurants, although they sold chop suey because everyone white Not thought that <laughs> chop suey was what everyone Asian ate. But they had, uh, part of it was a, from 1927, they bought a farmstead, a 10-acre farmstead from the, arch, from the diocese, archdiocese of monterey the catholic church uh for the buddhist church and they had a not only the church there they had a baseball diamond a basketball court and a tennis court because they had the ymba and the ywba which was the young men's buddhist and the young women's buddhist association and they had a championship um baseball team there with uh, all of these wonderful names like lefty Nishimura and so on in in Japan town in, in Japantown. Yeah. And so their baseball team competed in, within the Japanese League and were Japanese League um, champions of the Central Coast um, for several years running in the middle 30s. But they also played against um, the Catholic teams. <laughs> so you had the Catholic and the Buddhist going against each other. Just all the, I mean, in the old days before television, there were a lot, a lot of baseball teams out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and baseball was very big in San Luis. It was Tradition to play baseball on Christmas Day in San Luis. So, really, wait, whoa, whoa. Christmas Day baseball? In the 19th century, um, they would play baseball games on Christmas Day because you could. <laughs> Instead of, we didn't have bullfights anymore. Yeah. Well, I guess you had to do something on Christmas Day. Let's go to yeah. the baseball game. Yeah, Christmas used to be a very secular holiday of jollity, drinking, drinking and sports. So that was all in the tradition. So you do have these wonderful, and, and, and my, I think maybe my favorite photograph in the exhibition, and this is a shout out to Susie Ato Bauman, who I believe is still with us at the age of 104, just celebrated her 104th birthday. Wow. I haven't heard that she has left us, uh, left the body, as my Buddhist friends would say, but she... She, um, there. I have a photo in there. Again, most of these photos, I have no idea who took them. But this is one of my favorite photos of the 20th century. Any of the great photographers of American awkwardness could take this photo. What's the photo? It is of a 1966 bridal fashion show. Uh, hosted by the Historical Society of San Luis Obispo County, the History Center as it is now, in the Hayes Latimer Adobe, um, shout out to Dave Hannings, who has saved that Adobe and um, recently commissioned me to write a book about it. Um, Very fascinating history there, also tied in with Hollywood. But there, she's in the hallway, and it's a sort of an American Gothic scene. There are all these um, ladies, some of them asleep, some of them looking like butter couldn't melt. And here is Susie Ato Bauman, who would be in 1966, uh, in her 40s, sashaying along in a Chinese wedding kimono and looking like a million dollars.
1: Wow. As we wrap things up with Dr. James Papp, I've got a minute left for you to remind us of the ex- exhibition at Hung Lo.
0: Upstairs at Hung Lo. Um, go there later in the week uh, you will have uh, is when they open for dinner upstairs overflow it's gorgeous upstairs um, so Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday would be the days between 5 and 8 is your ideal time they probably let you in at other times to go and see them but uh, if you ask but I will be giving a talk about it if you haven't heard enough of me already uh, next the Saturday a week from this Saturday so the 24th at 1 p.m. show up order your your food, and then I'll let loose and give you all the background of the photos.
1: And also pick up his uh, relatively new book, uh, Architecture of San Luis Obispo County, San Luis Obispo
0: County Architecture, Architecture, which has an exhibition at the History Center of 170 years of architectural photography in San Luis Obispo County.
1: Dr. James Papo, I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Thank you. Off we go. News traffic weather, 5 o'clock hour starts now.